This is Resolutions, a podcast from the American Bar Association's Dispute Resolution Section. I'm one of your co-hosts, Larry Schooler. I'm a mediator and director of consensus building at CDNP. What if two parties slugging it out at the state capitol could produce a win-win solution? That's the question tackled by our guests today. Andrew Vehorn and Sam Brumberg represent electric cooperatives in the state of Virginia, sometimes called co-ops. They frequently found themselves locked in battle with, among others, producers of solar energy. The Co-op Association agreed to work with the solar companies and a mediator, Mark Rubin, from the Virginia Center for Consensus Building at Virginia Commonwealth University. You'll hear from him in part two of this episode. Today, we're going to hear from the parties about their experience in the mediation process. First, Andrew Vehorn and Sam Brumberg from the Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware Association of Electric Cooperatives. You know, a lot of times you would find yourself in situations where, you know, you would have the utilities on one side and the solar folks on the other, and outside of the General Assembly session, we didn't talk. Everyone was trying to play a game of gotcha. Um, You'd wait to a very late moment to file your bill because you didn't want the other side to be able to organize um, and get a leg up on you. And so you really tried to work everything out in the confines of a 45 or 60 day legislative session. Um, and in Virginia, that's, that includes weekends and includes holidays. It, it starts on, I think, the second Wednesday in January and then runs the calendar. Now, they don't meet on weekends um, and you have a thing called crossover. So you really have half of that time. You've got 22 days or 30 days to get something entirely through the committee process. And if anyone has an issue with your bill, if there's any um, objections, you've got to try to work that out on a week-by-week basis with everyone else with 3,000 bills that are all going on at the same time in a very, very short period of time. So it became a situation where if you saw a bill that you didn't like, and this is ultimately what led to the the genesis of the Rubin Group, um, 2016 saw a lot of solar bills getting introduced, and they had not been worked out in advance. Um, They were dropped. They were taken up at the last minute, and the utilities were in a position to, to just have to say no um, and actually lobby against the bills. And it wasn't that we were necessarily opposed to the underlying policy, um, but there were a lot of things that needed to go along with that and a lot of compromises that needed to take place. And trying to do that in a short General Assembly session really doesn't allow for it. So um, the House and Senate Commerce and Labor Committees came to both both sides, the utilities and the, the renewable and environmental industries, and said, you all need to get together and figure this out. We're tired of killing these bills, and if you don't figure it out, we will. Uh, well, and, and again, like even a layperson looking at this situation can say, this is an incredibly complex area of law and policy. 30 days is not enough time to work out the intricate issues uh, associated with this, and and neither side, you know, it, it was about separating the value of a political win, which either side could put points on the board if they needed to, and really saying, okay, we're going to try for a policy compromise here. You know, we can go to the General Assembly in 30-day increments and take 20 different votes on 20 different bills, and maybe the utilities kill them all, or maybe the solar industry gets a few through, or maybe they all pat, you know, it, we had to get to a point where that was not the objective of the process. I think there were both challenges and opportunities. Initially, um, I think folks on both sides um, were very leery. 
you've had these discussions before that had gone on two or three years prior. Um, there was a summer long meeting group, for example, that tried to reach agreement on the value of solar. And uh, I'm not sure if we were a part of it, but the two investor owned utilities were a part of it. And there were some of the same players uh, from the solar side that were a part of it. And they got to a point three quarters of the way through the year in August or September where they couldn't reach agreement and no one was really willing to go any farther. And the group just broke up. So um, I think from the outset, some folks thought, you know, sure, we'll do this because our committee chairman have asked us to. And if we don't, we're going to look bad, but don't expect anything great here. Um, the first year, we had probably 50 or 60 meetings split up between in-person meetings and phone calls. I mean, it was a very arduous year, but there was also some very necessary trust building that went on there. Um, we had everyone sign non-disclosure agreements so that what we brought to the group stayed in the group. Um, you know, the utilities talk a lot about cost recovery, and that's what's important to us is making sure we can recover costs. And the solar folks talk about market viability and, and not pricing solar at such a low level that their developers can't make a profit and can't have a sustainable business model. And you know, the kind of black box is right in the middle. And these non-disclosure agreements really let us come in and, and show some paperwork that said, here's what we're talking about when we talk about cost recovery. Or the solar folks could show us documents and business plans that say, you know, here's the price point that we really need to be at and here's why. And so once we could understand where the other side was coming from, why they were coming from that position, um, you know, and we could get into questions and really try to poke holes in the other side's argument and see what was real, what was posturing, um, and break that down. We got to a position where we could start talking seriously about solutions, understanding what things were going to be non-starters, what was off the table, and how we could all work around them. Well, and I think just going back to the formation of the group, I think it was very important not only to have the confidentiality agreement in place, that was an absolute necessity, but also the group was small and everyone agreed, especially at the beginning, we are going to set aside time on the calendar, full days of time on the calendar, and we're going to go off campus and meet together and sit together. You know, kind of, I think the human factor and the trust building was really important in those early days because it's easy for solar to demonize dominion on the political playing field. You know, it's, it's all utilities could ostensibly be painted with that brush, but it's hard to demonize someone when you sit across from them and you've had a meal and you're talking about the real issues. We've checked all of our political weapons at the door. Everybody in the room was an insider. So everybody knew kind of where, uh, forgive me for being frank, where the BS was. Like everybody knew the stuff that the other side was putting out that was BS. What was talking and, points versus what was uh, actual you know, concern. And, and we agreed to put all of that to the outside. And everybody came in, you know, nobody had any ultimatums. Nobody had, you know, it was, it was all done in a spirit of compromise. And again, we were particularly motivated because of the issue we had with the net metering caps. You know, we, we actually need a compromise or uh, there's not going to be any more net metering, and nobody wants that. No, everybody, everybody agreed that, you know, the, the no-deal Brexit kind of uh, solution, everybody agreed that the crash out was not, uh, not a good idea. I want to just spend a minute uh, drilling down a little bit on the building of trust, because this is a podcast for professionals like me who have to do that on a recurring basis, and, you know, it's a critical part of our success as mediators and as neutrals. And so 
I'm just wondering what you remember about the ways in which trust got built uh, beyond just the, you know, signing of, of NDAs and, you know, some of the procedural things. I mean, what were some of the other ways you think the trust got built? You know, it, it was really talking to people and spending the time. We had a, one of the, I think, pivotal moments for the co-ops early on um, was a meeting we had with, with someone from the other side. And, you know, utilities across the board, when you're talking about net metering, will say there's a subsidy in here because you have somebody who is using the grid for free, especially in a full retail net metering environment, they're not even paying for the costs that are incurred before you turn a light on. So if they zero out their bill, they're paying nothing and they're getting free use of the grid. And we said that's especially true in co-op territories because we're not for profit. Uh, and the solar folks would say, well, the investor in utilities can make up for that out of their profits. They can pay their shareholders less and they can, uh, they're not really losing any money. There's not any, customer to customer subsidy going on. If there's any subsidy, it's coming from their stockholders. We don't have stockholders. So when we sat down and we actually walked through these scenarios, the person said, okay, I understand now and I'm willing to stipulate that in co-op territory, there actually is a subsidy because any money that you're, you're not paying comes from your neighbors. It, there's nowhere else for it to come from. And once we broke down that wall of, of, getting them to realize this isn't for us at least this is not just a talking point it's reality and you know, when you get down to that level there's truth behind behind what we're saying that was a real pivotal point for us moving forward i mean we we're always able to call back on the cooperative difference and, and i think that gets back to understanding who's at the table why they're there and where are they coming from well and i think one of the things that really made it successful too and this this seems obvious but the folks around the table really have to want it to work. And you can't just be working towards a solution on the days that you set aside to meet and to mediate. Um, you know, we would have very, at times high level and at times very mundane and in-depth conversations, but then we would also follow up with, with each other throughout the week. You know, Sam and I, and I would come back to the office and we'd kind of revisit how things went and we'd have, you know, what do they mean by this? What do you think about this? And we'd brainstorm some ideas and call someone from the other side and say, hey, we were thinking about what you said here, and we think we have an answer. We think we have an avenue, and this would be our proposal. And we would start vetting things um, kind of outside of the formal mediation process. Uh, and, and I think that, too, showed our desire to reach a compromise and our sincerity in wanting, uh, wanting to reach agreement. And I had absolute sh uh, assurance, as, as sure as I could be, that what I said on the phone to the solar guy was not gonna end up in one of the blogs three days later. I mean, it really helps. You know, I can pick up the phone, I can speak frankly, without having to worry that that statement needs to be, you know, completely fit for public consumption. You all are there, of course, uh, on behalf of, you know, thousands and thousands of either members or, or uh, you know, co-ops. And I wonder if you can explain how you would go about conveying what was being discussed in a way that respected the confidentiality, but also made sure that you were making the kinds of commitments that your group was comfortable with your making. So it's probably a little more tough for us than the representatives from the investor owned utilities. Um, the representative of, a, of Dominion represents one company. The representative of Appalachian Power represents one company. Sam and I are here on behalf of 12 electric co-ops in Virginia. 
So, you know, and they range in size from 7,000 members to 150,000 members. So varying different needs, different penetration levels of, um, of net metering members. So we did, we would have to take what we did in the group, scrub it for the uh, confidential, confidential information, and then take it back to um, a group selected by all of our co-ops that kind of served as a vetting committee uh, for the larger group. Towards the end, when we really started getting towards a very close compromise, we brought representatives from our co-ops in, had then signed the confidentiality agreements, and actually brought them around the table as well. I think it also helped that as part of kind of the cultural shift that we were working on within the cooperative community, you know, it, it was it was a transition from saying we can't do this or we won't do this to what do we need to make this work. Uh, a lot of the ideas that were coming into the mediation were coming from from our from, from the cooperatives. So if we came in with you know five different policy ideas. You know, we brought those into the mediation, vetted them through that process, and then brought back kind of uh, different variations on those themes to, to our folks. So, you know, just in terms of the workflow, a lot of the idea creation process came kind of organically from the cooperatives, and that was refined through the mediation process. I wonder if there were any moments over the course of this lengthy process where you felt there was a significant impasse and, and either wondered if it would be broken or just it took an extended amount of time and some audibles at the line of scrimmage, so to speak, to break it. We did. There was, um, so this has been a multi-year effort. We started in the spring of 2016 um, in the, Summer of 2017, we thought we were really going to delve into net metering and solar policy reform uh, and spend that year trying to iron out those differences. Um, we quickly realized that summer that I think what the solution that would work for electric cooperatives may not work for investor-owned utilities, and so it kind of had a divergent path. Um, but even at that, that point in time, we got 80% down the road to an agreement, and we had some of our member co-ops that, that just could not get on the same page of how we were going to move forward as a block. And ultimately, it, it wasn't successful. We didn't take legislation forward that year. Um, but that's where we picked up where we left off in the spring of 2018. And that's ultimately what led to the, the successful legislative effort this past General Assembly session. I, I think there was a significant impasse really late in the process. Uh, I don't remember, that was kind of late 2018, yep. would November. you say, October, November timeframe. Um, we were getting very close to the end, and uh, there was a point where we felt like we had gotten to the edge of our negotiating authority, and we were ready to walk, we were ready to walk out. Um, and again, it was, and the way that meeting concluded was, we're not going to walk out, we're all going to keep talking, everybody's going to go home. Um, I think it took another two weeks of everybody being away from each other um, to to kind of let uh, let the dust settle, let everybody's nerves cool off. And you know, Mark and Mark and I were talking, and Mark and Andrew and I were talking, and and the co-op representatives, and you know, uh, we started again, and we started again, and we start you know just kept at it until we got to a point where 
everybody was comfortable. And I'm sure that the solar folks have told you and we would tell you, as is the case in any compromise, it's far from perfect. Nobody got everything they wanted, all of that, you know, kind of that, those, those traditional caveats certainly uh, should be appended to this, to this deal that we made. But uh, again, given the other options on the table, this was uh, very close to a, a best case scenario for everyone, I, I think. But yeah, there were times when we were at uh, a bad impasse and we were very close to walking away. And I'm sure there were some times that they were close to walking away. You know, and that's really, I think, the value of having having a mediator involved is, you know, Mark was very good about holding the group together and, and saying, we can't call this off. We're not, nobody's walking away. Let's keep talking. We haven't reached the end. You know, we've just found every way that won't work so far. Um, I think there's an old, old adage about, you know, you don't fail 50 times, you just find 50 ways that don't work. And we went down every one of those rabbit holes in depth. And, and that's ultimately where we came down. This, what we brokered may not be perfect, um, but it makes sense. And if anyone asks why we went a certain way or why we didn't go another way, you know, we've got three years of history that can explain why it wasn't the right policy for where we are in Virginia. And, you know, it, it's, it's, this was, I, I am hopeful, and I, I hope you've heard this consistently, but I would describe this as something more than an armistice. This is uh, a piece that could be sustainable for many years. I think it is flexible. I think it is adaptable to new technologies. I think it, is, it, it, it can grow and change as the grid grows and changes, um, as rate structures change. Uh, I think it has the potential to last uh, for, for some time. Uh, and again, I count that as a win. I count that as success. You know, and there is a key time after things had, we realized we weren't going to be successful in 2018, that, that we had not gotten to where we needed to be. Sam and I had a conversation, and I think this really reframed things. We said, what if instead of trying to get what we want, we gave them everything they wanted, and we started from the position of what do we need to give them everything they want? And that's where we started from in, in the spring of 2019 and really framed it to say, okay, you've told us what you wanted. Here's what we need to be able to say yes to all of this. And I think that's ultimately how we got to success. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it was always about, on the internal side, kind of on the co-op facing side, it was always about reframing the question. Don't tell me this is not possible, because I know for a fact, both as someone who's familiar with the solar industry and familiar with utilities, that that's not true. You know, it is possible. It just needs some things to be true. It needs this amount of money. It needs this type of technology. It needs this sort of communication. It needs it needs fiber, uh, broadband fiber for uh, communications. Tell me the things that need to be true for this to be workable. Because, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. We didn't reinvent the wheel here. We took a bunch of different ideas and cobbled together a solution that we think is going to work for our co-ops and the members, the co-ops member owners. Um, you know, it's not like we came up, we didn't invent a new, uh, you know, we didn't invent some new technology or some new Latin legal phrase to put in the law to make, you know, magic happen. It's it like was, the car and Johnny Cash is one piece at a time. We didn't invent a new car. We just put one together that no one had ever seen before. For folks who might be listening who either as practitioners want to get into this space and do the kind of work that uh, Ms. Rubin did, or for folks who are listening who are finding what you all did intriguing uh, and would like to be a party to something like that, would like to participate in something like that, what, what guidance would you give them? 
in, in some senses, we were able to do something that is unique. Um, certainly, the, uh, among, among the 50 states, among the, the subset of the 50 states that have electric cooperatives, this was a first in the nation. Um, this is a first in the nation experiment in a rate regulated state for electric cooperatives. But uh, I, I think it begins, you know, any mediation um, or, or compromise and negotiation process like this begins with um, assessing the situation and everyone's relative political power. I think it began for us with an adequate assess, a real realistic assessment of our political power and how the political uh, landscape would change over the next uh, five years or more. I think the second ingredient for success here for folks who want to enter into a process like this is please, please choose your people wisely. The small number of people who are going to sit in that room need to be people who are both experts and who are capable of, you know, thinking critically and being open-minded as to the arguments of others. This is not a situation where we sent in our uh, people who are good at yelling and pounding the table. You know, we were, there's a place and a time to deploy those people and this was not that situation. Um, so who's in the room and who each organization chooses to represent it, uh, I think is very, very important. Well, and there has to be a, a significant time commitment. The relationships that we built around that table that first year were individual relationships. They weren't transferable um, to someone else subbing in uh, for a meeting from your organization. So it's, it's important to have the same people around the table for the duration of the process. And you've got to engage a mediator. I think uh, it's it's just it's it's not only good practice, but um, and and good from a legal perspective. I think, but it's it really was helpful. I don't know if we could have gotten as far as we did without Mark's help. Um, obviously, you've you've heard us talk about confidentiality and and why that's important. And I think the final thing I would say is be prepared for this to take some time. Uh, it took three years for us. I think it easily could have taken five years if we had attempted a solution that encompassed the investor-owned utilities as well. Um, it, it's going to take some time. It, the, the, the problems that we were tackling were complex, long-standing problems. Those are not going to certainly not going to be solved in 30 days. Not going to be solved in 12, 24 months. I'm not surprised it took this long. And everybody had to be committed that whole time because it would be really easy for the let's say for the solar community to have broken off and said, you know what, this is taking too long. Um, in the meantime, my tax credits are expiring uh, and or not being renewed. Uh, I have markets in other places, you know, either Virginia is going to make money for me or it's not like they could have easily walked away and said, this is taking too long. You have to have people who are committed to good policy and to seeing that through to the end. Uh, yes, it's expensive, but I think, yeah. Staffing up for a huge legislative fight with armies of lobbyists is exponentially more expensive or going through a um, very drawn out and very in-depth regulatory proceeding at the State Corporation Commission with armies of, of lawyers with boxes of paperwork is exponentially more expensive. So it may be more expensive than doing nothing, but doing nothing is ultimately, I think, a lot more expensive than engaging in, in the mediation process. I agree. I think the expense, this was expensive, but I, I view it as an investment that we made, 
not as just some sunk dead weight cost that we have to bear. Um, I would also tell you that um, regulatory proceedings at the commission for electric cooperatives, uh, we don't view those as just the cost of doing business. Those are serious burdens that our ratepayers have to bear. Easily six, you know, routinely six figures, and then again potentially multiple, multiple times, multiple times over. And there's there's certainty in the mediation process, or as certain as you can be. Um, you know, we can kill a bill one year with an army of lobbyists, and it can be brought back year after year, and so you have the same fight, never knowing when things are not going to go in your favor. If you invest a year or two years outside of legislation mediating a long-term solution, then you're going to have that solution in place 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, hopefully. Um, and so that's where you get the, the cost recovery if you're looking at the upfront cost. You're going to get it down the road where you're not having these same fights. That was Andrew Vehorn and Sam Brumberg from the Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware Association of Electric Cooperatives. They participated in an extensive mediation process along with solar providers, including Francis Hodsell, who represented the Maryland, D.C., Delaware, Virginia Solar Energy Industries Association. Here's Francis's take on the mediation process. The Rubin Group was formed um, four years ago, roughly, um, because there was so much um, kind of back and forth going on between the solar industry and the utilities and the legislators just saw that um, we weren't making progress. We were just kind of, you know, throwing bills out there and um, not a lot of stuff was actually getting done. And so rather than, as they say, you know, definition of insanity, right? Keep doing what you're doing, hoping for a different result. So the legislator said, please stop doing what you're doing. Try this other approach, right? Um, and it, I'm simplifying it because it didn't exactly happen that way. It wasn't that we got a mandate from the legislatures, but um, the, the utilities and the uh, industry came together with kind of the tacit recognition from some legislators that we were going to work together to, uh, you know, try to figure out some of these issues that had caused a lot of uh, consternation, I guess. Um, and so the, uh, we've been working on resolving some of these policy issues between the industry and, and the utilities for a good long time now. And it's done a couple of things. One, it's created a very good dialogue between the industry and the utilities that helped to, you know, make sure we're on the same page when it comes to policy issues as much as we can be, um, or at least clearly define where the differences are. And it's also brought the solar industry together in a much more unified way. And, and we're, we're very good now at kind of being able to gather what is really dozens of different companies um, together and develop some general consensus and move forward because of this collaboration that we have developed, not just from the industry to the utilities, but also within the industry, we're very good at responding quickly to issues. And this is a great example of, of an issue that came up and it, it came up truly last minute. Um, the counties were 
uh, I don't know whether they were strategic or they just waited to the last minute, but they introduced that bill at a, after you were allowed to introduce bills. And, and we have a very short general assembly session. So we had to respond almost immediately. And if we had not built the, you know, that collaboration over these years uh, and ability for people, you know, relationships and, and all the things that go into collaboration, um, we would not have been able to respond the way we did. And we probably would have lost the exemption, which would have had a big impact on, you know, the price of solar in Virginia. We get together, we have, you know, these all day meetings, usually kind of once a month, not every month of the year, but, you know, starting around this time leading up through December so that we have something ready to go in January. Um, and then there's a number of calls that happen in between the all day meetings um, or special meetings that happen to address a specific topic. Because uh, there's usually three or four or maybe five uh, topics that are being addressed in tandem. Um, and there's folks who are working on each topic within the group. Uh, so <clears throat> people split off to some degree, but as a, we all get back together as, as a, as a group and kind of review, um, the policy. And, and one of the, as, as we're formulating this, you know, we're getting the benefit of utilities obviously bring a, a tremendous amount of knowledge and expertise to the table. This is their business, right? Um, we, we bring our knowledge and expertise to the table. We have environmental uh, folks represented at the table and we have a ratepayer advocate represented at the table. And, and so all of the knowledge and expertise is, is coming together and, and looking at the policy as it's being evolved and helping to shape it. And, and then, you know, when, as they say, the rubber hits the road, when you're actually putting specific legislative language down, You've got a lot of eyeballs who are all interested in getting a piece of legislation crafted that is going to survive the legislative process. And so, you know, it, it's really helpful just to have these different perspectives, uh, working on it, formulating the idea, developing it, um, doing the analysis, and then, and then looking at the specific legislative words that are being used. We do think about the BATNA. Um, as an industry on some of these issues. Um, oftentimes, the BATNA is, there's so many stakeholders in the legislative process that if, if we solve the problem, and because we have credibility with the legislature, often if, you know, let's say this is how, let's just kind of take it hypothetically. We want to solve a problem that has to do with how the contract between a, a, a solar uh, supply and a customer, we want to structure that agreement, which is not exactly what we're working on. But let's just say that's that's it, right? <clears throat> if, if we don't solve that problem, somebody else is going to come to the legislature with a good idea about how to solve that problem, and we lose control of the process. So that often is our bad enough. Right. It, it's not so much that the deal doesn't get done. And, and so we just go with the status quo being the bad. Now, the bad news is we, we might lose control of the legislative process because we didn't solve the problem and somebody else 
And oftentimes we have an understanding of who those other players are and what kinds of ideas they may be bringing forward. And honestly, we, we may, in some cases, there have been times when the solar industry has felt like, gee, if we thought that piece of legislative policy that some other stakeholder was going to bring forward had some shot at going forward, we would really like to support that. But we recognize it's better for us to work out a compromise with the utility because if, you, if we don't have that compromise with the utility, again, we lose control of the process, the utility maybe kills the bill, and we make no progress. One aspect of this also that I think um, would be helpful for people to understand is, is how private and how public these kinds of conversations are. Obviously, people are accustomed to the privacy associated with mediation, and they're also familiar with the public nature of a lot of, of public policy making. although, of course, we know that there are a lot of conversations happening behind the scenes, too. But as I read about this work, it, it seemed to me like there was a lot of um, dialogue just specifically around that particular element of this work, is, is how private a process should it be and how public a process it should it be. And I guess I'm just curious for you to, to offer some perspective on that, given that you're, you know, working with a mediator who might otherwise work in private, but also working on public policy that affects potentially, uh, you know, the whole state. This is a really interesting issue with the Rubin Group because <clears throat> we have all agreed to keep the details private within the group. That being said, there's, you know, like within the solar industry, I'll just use that as an example. We have um, a few people at the table representing um, thousands, actually, of people in Virginia. The statistics are there's over 3,000 people in the solar, you know, working in the solar industry in Virginia. Um, and so there's always this balancing act of how much can you provide to, to make sure that you're keeping aligned with the interests of the broader group um, versus, you know, if um, the problem with being fully transparent, especially because you're dealing with these broad stakeholder groups, whether it's the solar industry or the utilities or the environmentalists, as soon as you, you drop specifics, there's guaranteed to be a lot of critics, right? And, and then the problem is if, you, if, if people are just basically taking shots at your ideas as you're trying to formulate them, you're spending all your time kind of defending, wait, wait, give us a chance to like figure this out, right? Versus spending your time figuring it out. And so there's a, it's a balancing act of providing enough information to your constituents so that you can have, you know, buy-in and keep alignment. And at the end of the day, you get to the end of the process and you've brought people along enough, right? Versus getting too out in front of yourself and just having you spend all this time uh, kind of, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of stuff, right? Um, every year it's been the same thing. Every year people have complained that it's a secretive process and it's unfair and 
but the you know you can't make a lot of progress if you just open up these these are complex issues and you just open these, up these issues to everybody to like weigh in because you just you will just have um you know it's a bunch of spaghetti at the wall basically is what you're going to have <laughs> it seems like this is somewhat a novel of an approach uh, at least within your industry writ large nationally which is to say there's there's something unique about this group of stakeholders getting together to work on these particular issues uh, on a statewide basis and i'm curious if there's anything that you could say either to the field of dispute resolution in terms of what would make this work elsewhere or perhaps colleagues of yours in the industry who might be reluctant to get involved in a process like this or just anyone who might be engaged in in the public arena who may think that uh a process like yours sounds you know awfully hokey and and wildly uh idealistic and myopic well what i've come to realize is that um it, it really depends a lot on the personalities you know it, it, it's who's sitting at that table and and we do spend a little bit of time talking about who should sit at the table and that sounds very uh parochial but um you know it really is true there there's certain personalities that are, are very good at like um going and charging down the path and you know um but they may not be as good at um you know giving the other side a chance to get their point across right and <clears throat> so um you know if if you're going to try to do something like this you need to think a lot about who's representing what interests and um you know i think we to a big degree got you know lucky that we had the right people sitting at the table that you know were willing to work through what is a pretty laborious process because you know we all have other jobs to do and so um you know typically we're we're meeting like you know once one full day every month at least and then in total there was something like 60 some meetings um that that we participated in it, it's a it's a huge commitment um and at times it gets frustrating and you know you, uh but you have to like keep your eye on the prize as they say right and and realize that by if we are successful and we go to the general assembly and we say to the general assembly we have crafted this policy in collaboration between the solar industry and the utilities and the environmentalists and the ratepayer advocate and we all agree on this we're very likely to get that piece of legislation passed and so that's that's the benefit um but it's it's a hard process to get there that was francis hodsell who represented the maryland dc delaware virginia solar energy industries association earlier you heard from andrew vihorn and sam brumberg who represented electric cooperatives in part two of this conversation you'll hear from the mediator mark rubin Thanks for listening to this episode of Resolutions from the American Bar Association Dispute Resolution Section. I'm Larry Schooler.